Hey guys, my name is Sarah Morgan, and I know it's hard to remember both names, so feel free to call me Smart. That's what my friends call me, and I'd love to be a friend to you guys. But I'm here with my teammates, Emily and Will and Sir, and we are the traveling team. And I know it's kind of vague, but the name speaks for itself. It hits the nail on the head. We are a team that travels. We go to different college campuses all over the country and speak with students just like you guys, and we talk about one thing, but we're really excited to be here with you tonight because all four of us actually live here in Fayetteville, so we're pumped to be here at Fellowship. We've had some good times here at Fellowship too, so thanks so much for having us, but we travel thousands of miles, nine months out of the year for our full-time job because there is something that has absolutely captured our hearts. We're here tonight to tell you guys about God's mission and help you get involved. So just to give you an idea of what it's gonna look like tonight, my teammate Will is going to come up and walk us through the entire Bible, like Genesis to Revelation in about 30 minutes. And then after that, we'll have a part two where Sir is going to lead us in another time where he'll teach you how to use this really cool tool uh, that can help you figure out how to apply it to your life. So Will's kind of teaching us the why for God's heart for the world. And then after that, Sir is gonna teach us the how, how to get involved. But you guys, the first time that I heard this message was right after I graduated from UCA, and it rocked my world. Just being immersed in scripture that shows the depths of God's heart for the world changed the way that I see God. It changed my career path and ultimately changed the deepest desires of my heart. And my hope and prayer is that God will use this message to invite you guys into something even bigger than yourselves like he did for me. But all that being said, let's give a big warm welcome to Will. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Man, it is so good to be with y'all, Fellowship College. Uh, like Sarah Morgan said, my name's Will. What she didn't tell you, though, is that I was a star athlete in high school and uh, was an incredible basketball player. None of you believe me. And you're smart to not believe me because I did not play basketball. Uh, I tried out for the team. And they said, you probably shouldn't be here. Uh, you, you should probably go for football. And so I was like, all right. Why not? And so uh, I try out for the football team. It wasn't really a tryout. It was kind of just show up and you get to be on the team. They're like, here's some pads. I'm like, yes, I'm on the team. I'm part of something big, something awesome. And, uh, and then my coach is like, Will, you actually get to play the safest position. I'm like, no way. Punter, safety, it's got safe in the name, like kicker. Like what, what is it, coach? You're gonna be the backup center, Will. You're going to be on the bench. You're not going to play at all. And, uh, and so at practice, I, I'm the guy who doesn't play at all. So I, I just kind of have my head in the clouds. Uh, I'm supposed to be studying the playbook, trying to understand the plays, trying to understand what my job is on the field. Because what if I get invited out onto the field? What if I get called into the game? I need to know what I'm doing. But I looked at the guy starting in front of me. And uh, he was bigger than me, stronger than me, taller than me, better looking than me. I didn't have anything to do with football, but, but all those things were true. And I was like, man, I'm never going to see the field, like ever. And then that day happened, and I hear my name being screamed down the side, the Will Watson, get in the game. And I'm like, helmet, helmet, helmet. I grab somebody else's helmet. It's a little tight. I start jogging in the game. I'm excited. I'm nervous. I get in the huddle. 
my teammates look at me, they know how I spend practice. And they're like, Will? And I'm like, yeah. They're like, Will? Yeah. I'm in the game. Bro, you got this? I'm like, yeah, fellas. Like, I think I got this. Uh, let me tell y'all, I didn't got it. Uh, I didn't got it at all. I dropped the ball. Uh, not the actual ball. I dropped the opportunity. I missed my shot. I, I blew my chance to be a football star as a sophomore in high school. And, and the reason I blew the opportunity, I dropped my shot, was because I didn't study or understand the playbook. So I got called out on the field and I had no idea what I was doing there. I didn't know what my purpose was. I didn't know what other people were doing. But tonight, that is the last thing I'm gonna, I'm gonna say about high school football, high school football, that's it. So sigh of relief. We're here to talk about something so much more important. We're here to talk about God's mission. And, and the first time I heard someone talking about God's mission when I was in college, I remember immediately putting myself back on the sidelines just like I was in high school. Like God's mission happens out there on a field and the people that are out there in the mission, they're better than me and they're more charismatic than me, and they're smarter than me, and they're more spiritual than me. That's why they're on the mission, and I'm on the sidelines. But tonight, what I want you to see, what we want you to see, is that God has called every single person who calls themselves a believer, he's called all of us off the sidelines, out, out of the comfort zone, out of security, out of apathy and onto the field and even into the game. And if God has invited us into his mission, what he's doing, well, we need to be students of the playbook. We need to be students of God's word. We need to be able to say, I know what God's mission is and I know that I have a part to play in it. And I can kind of tell you like, here's how I'm playing that part. Does that make sense? So that's what we're gonna spend the next 30 minutes looking at. Like, what is God's mission and, and, and where do we fit into it? How does our individual purpose actually fit inside that, not in opposition to it? And, and the first place I wanna start is in Genesis chapter 12. Uh, I know that uh, God's mission, it's a, it's a fun topic to talk on. Most people jump straight to Matthew 28, 19. That's a great verse. It's called the Great Commission. We're gonna go to Genesis 12 because to go straight to Matthew 28, 19 would be like starting Marvel at Endgame. It wouldn't make any sense. There's no context. Why is Jesus sending people all over the earth? Doesn't make any sense. No, we need to start at the beginning of God's mission. And, and Genesis 12, one through three, Guys, this, this passage is the foundation passage, not of God's mission alone, but the whole book. Do you want to understand all of the Bible? You need to view it through this grid, these three verses. Here's what they are. Now the Lord said to Abram, who he would later rename Abraham, if that name is more familiar, go from your country and your people and your father's house to the land that I will show you. What's the first word out of God's mouth? Go. Leave your friends, your family, your stuff, your land. Leave everything you know and are comfortable with behind and just start walking to a land that I will show you. 
And if you're Abraham receiving this message from God, aren't you a little bit like, <laughs> why? Like, why would this happen to me? Like, I had life pretty good. I, I, I thought I had my purpose figured out, God. Why are you doing this? But God's like, hold up, Abraham. I've got something better for you than your area, your people, and your purpose. I've got something better. Because this is where God says he's going. Verse two, go to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So let's pause right there for a second. So God calls Abraham out of his purpose and into God's purpose. And then he says, man, this isn't a curse, Abraham. This is a blessing. I'm bringing you into my fold and I am the one true God of the whole universe. And I'm gonna bless you like crazy, but it's not just for you. Look at the last sentence, the last part of that sentence. I'm gonna bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And how far is that blessing gonna extend? Where is that going? Verse three, and in you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. That is the story of the Bible. God blesses Abraham in such a way that through his offspring, through somebody who's gonna come through his lineage, he's going to bless the entire world. That's the Bible. That is God's plan and his purpose for the world. God blesses his people to bless all people. He's still doing that to this day. God actually repeated this, son, uh, this promise to uh, Abraham's grandson, Jacob. Jacob, he says, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad from the west to the east and the north and the south and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So, so God is like, he gives, us, he gives us a purpose. He's like, here's what's about to happen and here's a map so you can kind of see it play itself out. But I'm really bad at looking at maps. I tend to shut maps. I tend to ignore maps. Uh, one time I was in college and uh, decided we were gonna go on a road trip with some buddies and, and we get in the car and we set out on this 12-hour journey to Destin, Florida. We get halfway there and it's midnight and I realized, oh my goodness, guys, everybody's falling asleep in the car, by the way. Like, we're about to go off the road. And I'm like, okay, well, something's gotta happen. I'm like, we need to stop at that motel or stop at that gas station. And they're like, motel? I'm like, we're gonna die or we're gonna stop at that gas station and I'm gonna get Red Bull, Bang, and five-hour energy and I'm gonna drive us the rest of the way because y'all are gonna kill us at the wheel. So they're like, all right, we'll let you get us there. And so uh, we pull over to the gas station, I chug the drinks, we hop back in the driver's seat, I get in there, everybody else is going to sleep, so I, I sneak in my headphones so, you know, so I don't keep them awake and so they don't know that I'm listening to T-Swift. And, uh, and I get to cooking down the road, listening to T-Swift's new album, and it's great. But 20 minutes into the drive, I'm losing my mind because Google Maps won't stop talking. And it's the same thing over and over again. Keep straight, keep straight, keep straight, keep straight, keep straight, keep straight. I'm like, you're ruining T-Swift. This is done, I'm done. Like, sorry, Google, you're gone. So I turned it off. I shut off the map in the middle of Mississippi in the middle of the night. And as the sun began to rise, anxiety was creeping in because we were crossing the border, not into Destin, Florida, where we should be. We're in Tupelo, Mississippi. My friends are waking up with the sunrise and they're like, we 
here's the beach. I'm like, uh, I think I might've wasted a little bit of our gas, our money and our time, fellas, but the new T-Swift album, so good. And you're gonna love listening to it seven times over the next seven hours. But, but, but it's one thing to waste a road trip. It would be another thing entirely to waste your life, giving your purpose to the wrong things, aligning your purpose with what you wanna do instead of what God's doing in the world. I don't want us to shut the map. Let's open the book back up. Let's open up this, this book, this purpose, this plan, this map that God's given us for the world and our lives. Let's see what it has to say. And, and I wanna put this pattern to the test is God gonna bless his people in such a way that all the nations will be blessed. And I think my, one of my favorite stories to see in the Old Testament is, uh, is this one, David versus Goliath. We know this story. It's like the best underdog story of all time. It's the theme of every major sports movie, right? Big dude, tall, tall dude, short dude, awesome headshot. It's awesome. And I love it because it's like, remember the Titans? That's a David versus Goliath story. Remember the little giants, chicken little, all these are taking place as great underdog stories. And for the longest time, I shut the map on Genesis 12 and didn't understand the global implication of scripture. And so I just thought that David and Goliath was a story about me. I read it and I was like, man, if God's got my back, there's no giant that could stand in my way. Like I'm good. I'm just gonna be out there slinging stones and knocking out giants. But is that what the story's really about? Is it, I mean, of course, God does slay our giants and praise God that he does. But what, what is David and Goliath really about? Is it, is it just about God defeating our giants? No. Because when David walks out onto the battlefield, here's what he says to Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17. He says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. My problem is I tend to read the Bible like a yearbook. So the first thing I do when I got a yearbook, like junior high, middle school growing up, is I go in there, pop it open, and who am I looking for? This guy. The problem with reading the Bible like that, the Bible's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God and what he's doing and his global purpose. I mean, the Bible speaks to us, but let's realize that God blessing his people in the Bible isn't just about them and it's not just about us. It has a global purpose. Psalm 67 sums this up great. Uh, David writes, may God be gracious to us. May he bless us and make his face shine upon us. I, uh, I grew up in a Southern traditional church and the pastor would preach a sermon. And uh, then at the end of the week, a lot of times he would get up and give some sort of um, benediction while like the organ was playing. And it was awesome. And, and his name was Tony. And he would stand up and be like, all right, church, may God be gracious to you, bless you, and make his face shine upon you. Y'all go and have a good week, go hogs. And I'd be like, yeah, Tony, like I needed that. I wanted that. I want God to be gracious to me. I want God to bless me. I want God to make his face shine upon me. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds amazing. But why does David write this? Is it just about him? Me, 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 me? No. Psalm 67 
let's get a little more context. David writes, God, be gracious to us. God, bless us. God, make your face shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. The Bible is a book about a global God with a global purpose. It's not just an encouraging story for you and I. I wanna show you a couple more from the Old Testament. Habakkuk 2.14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in Malachi 1.11, for from the rising of the sun into its setting, my name will be. It's not maybe or could be or should be or probably. No, God says, my name will be great among the nations. So that is Genesis to Malachi, the first book in the Old Testament to last. And what we see is that God is on a mission. He's on a mission to bless the entire world through the offspring of Abraham. The question is, how's he gonna do it? Because mankind, this world, sinned in Genesis 3, separated themselves from God, and has lived ever since in sinful rebellion in the face of a good, just, kind, merciful, holy God. So how is God going to bring the world to love him, to know him? Well, the answer comes as soon as we turn the page into the New Testament. And we see Matthew chapter 1 open with these words, the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David, the offspring of Abraham. And when he comes into the world, very on, very early on in his public ministry, he tells us exactly why he's here. And really, it's just Genesis 12, part two. Maybe the most famous verse in scripture. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, And that whoever would believe in Jesus, whoever believes in him should not perish, no, but have eternal life. God wanted relationship with people all over the world, even though the world rejected him. And so he sent Jesus to live a perfect life, a life that we've never lived. He didn't sin one time. And then at the end of his ministry, instead of receiving like a crown, and and a throne and the obedience of all peoples because he's God and he's perfect and he's man and he's loving and he's kind and he's good. Instead of getting the crown and the throne and the obedience, he gets a crown of thorns and a cross and crushed for your sin and for my sin and for the sins of people all over the world. He dies on that cross. But the good news of the gospel is that he doesn't stay dead. He rises again from the grave in victory over sin, over Satan, over death. And he proves that anyone who would come to trust in him, he has an imperishable, eternal, infinite, unstoppable life. And he's promising it to anyone who would just merely place their trust in him, who would ask him for forgiveness of sins. That's the good news of the gospel. Growing up, I, I, I heard it. You probably heard it. And, uh, and I heard it, and I eventually just started to plug my name in there. So where it says world, I would say, okay, here's how I understand this verse. For God so loved will that he gave his only son. And that's 100% true. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I wanna tell you right now, at an individual level, 
Jesus Christ loves you so much that he came and lived and died and rose for you that you might believe in him and have eternal life. So I, I beg of you, be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ if you haven't. But for those of us who have, we need to remember that Jesus didn't just come for us. He didn't just come for me. He came for the world. The reason Jesus came for the world is because Genesis 12, 2. All the nations would be blessed through the offspring of Abraham. That's Jesus. God is keeping his promise. And right after he rises from the dead, Jesus is actually gonna invite his followers, believers, to, to play a part in taking that message to all the people of the world. Uh, but before we get to that invitation uh, from Jesus, I, I wanna tell you a story about an invitation I received when I was eight years old. Uh, so when I was eight years old, my grandmother invited me to an incredibly magical place. Many of you have probably been there. It's called Silver Dollar City. And uh, yes, Amen. We're headed to Silver Dollar City. I, I load up in the car. My older cousin's going. I look up to him. I look up. Yeah, I, I'm like, he loves roller coasters. My grandmother loves roller coasters. So we're on our way up there. And, and I have no idea what a roller coaster is. I've never been to a theme park. And so we're driving up there. We get to the theme park. We start walking in. I'm in the parking lot. And then I see what a theme park is. And more specifically, I see what a roller coaster is. I'm walking up and I see this big red metal loop in the sky. There's a car going around it, and uh, people are screaming bloody murder. And I'm like, <laughs> Nanny, what's that? She's like, Will, that's our ride. I'm like, that ain't my ride. I'm not doing that. Like, no. It, it's too high, Nanny, and too fast, and too upside down, and I don't want to die. So no, not doing it. So all day, her and my cousins, they're on the roller coaster. She loved them. 70 years old. Dyed blonde hair, blown in the wind. She's just... She's loving it, my cousins are loving it, and I'm on, I'm on my rides, right? Uh, uh, the swing, and, and the carousel, and the funnel cake line, and round two. And my grandmother sees me back in line for funnel cake round two, and she's like, oh, I gotta say something. I gotta, I gotta console him. So she comes over and she goes, Will, what are you doing? I say, oh, it's red velvet this time, it's different. She's like, oh, um. And she puts her hand on my shoulder. It says, Will, you're a wuss. At which point I started crying, you know, like a wuss. But I was also mad. I was like, Will Watson's a wuss, nanny. So I dusted the powdered sugar and the, got the cream cheese off the side of my face with all the charisma I could muster up. And I started stomping for this ride called Wildfire. And it's a big red one. And I, I'm scared and sticky and... I'm eight, it's a bad day. Uh, but then I'm in line for it and I'm getting more scared and the fear is mounting and now I'm not at the front of the line even, I'm in front of a chair. A very helpful attendant comes by and shoves me down into a seat and then descending over my head like a death trap is these metal bars covered in rubber padding and a seatbelt buckle, I don't even know. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna die, single. But one minute later, one minute, one measly minute, and I'm getting off that ride a changed man. Uh, I, 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 I was baptized 
by wildfire. Uh, it was, um, I became an apologist or an evangelist for the good news of roller coasters. And I, I was going up to every five and eight and 10 year old kid in the park, like, Timmy, have you ridden the ride? I know it looks scary. I know it looks tall, but you got to go, man. And, and there's like the red, green, and yellow where it's like not tall enough to ride. Yellow, you're tall enough, but you got to ask dad. And green, it's like, you're good to go. Well, I come to this kid. His name's Timmy. I'm like, Timmy, you're in the yellow. We should ask dad. So I drag him over to his dad and his dad's holding a baby. And I'm like, can Timmy ride the ride? He's like, I don't care. I'm like, why aren't you on it? I'm holding a baby. Get that baby on there, man. You can't let the fear set in. Get him on the ride. I remember thinking to myself, like, how did I waste so much time on the carousel? It's terrible. I mean, no offense if you're a carousel. It's terrible. How did I waste so much time making myself sick on funnel cake? Like, why did I almost let fear of the unknown stop me from something that incredible? Well, when I think about God's heart for the world and his desire for us to join him in his mission, I think there's fear of the unknown. Like, God, you, you're bringing me into your mission. Really? You think that's a good idea? Like, <laughs> Jesus, I, I, I don't know if I'm the right person for this. But I want you to know something. Jesus is pretty serious about you and me joining him in his mission because after he rises from the dead, he consistently preaches on one topic. There's one thing he's talking about and you can find it in all four gospels and in the first chapter of Acts. What are his followers meant to do in light of all that he's accomplished? And it's this. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. What does that verse mean for our majors, our mates, our lives? I don't know. There's not a cookie cutter answer to getting involved in God's mission, but, but I'll tell you this, uh, he's pretty serious. Because like I said, not one time does he say this, but multiple, five, Mark 13, 10. The gospel must be proclaimed to all nations. In Luke, Jesus says, it is written. What was written? Genesis 12. You already knew it was going to all nations, disciples. How did you miss it? I missed it for a long time. So Jesus says it again. Repentance for the forgiveness of sin shall be proclaimed in his name to all nations. In John, preface. Um, John is like my favorite or least favorite, depending on the day of the week. Um, here, here's what it says. You'll see why. John says, Jesus says in John, as the Father has sent me, even so, I'm sending you. Which means if you're a believer in this room with a pulse, I was not a nursing major, uh, so I can't find my pulse, but I'm pretty sure I'm alive. And, and you don't need to find your pulse to know if you're alive or dead. You all look pretty lively to me tonight. So what this verse is saying is if you're alive and you're a follower of Jesus, guess what? You're a sent one. The question is no longer, God, am I sent? Jesus, am I called? That's not the prayer anymore. Jesus is saying the prayer is now, God, where am I sent? To who am I called? And some of us will go further geographically than others, no doubt about it. But if I hear that I'm a sent one, 
from God by Jesus to others? <laughs> Me? I'm like, Jesus, <laughs> I think you got the wrong guy. Like, Jesus, I have emotional needs. I have student debt. I'm bald. Like, surely there's a better sent one out there. Like, you got a better. Surely. But what's amazing is that in the final Great Commission, Jesus has an answer for our insecurity and, frankly, our inadequacy. Here's what it is. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus, I don't know if I can do this. Like, make a disciple, proclaim the gospel, preach repentance, be a sent one. I don't know if I can do this. And Jesus' answer is, yes, you're right. You get it. You can't. You, in and of yourself, have no ability to play any part in God's mission. But you receive power from the Holy Spirit for this very purpose. If you're wondering what your life purpose is, this is it, to be a witness for Christ here and everywhere. That's why you're alive. Jesus says this gospel must go to all the nations. Thank the Lord it's gone some places because otherwise we wouldn't have it here. None of us would be here, but it must continue on. The apostle Paul said in Romans 15, 20, he said, it's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so I wouldn't be building on someone else's foundation. So Paul, he, he was like, I'm going places where no one knows Jesus. I'm gonna, if we gotta go to all the nations, then we should probably ask, where are the nations where there's no gospel? And Paul said, that's where I'm going because we gotta go to them all. And so he said, I'm going, to, I'm going there. I'm gonna make Jesus known. I'm gonna go somewhere else. Let's start the whole process again. And we could do the same thing today. 2,000 years later, we can still do this because there are so many places with zero foundation. And they're all, most of them, the vast majority of them are in this box. Some of you have probably heard of this before. It's called the 1040 window. And it's called that because it runs from 10 degrees north latitude, so north of the equator, to 40 degrees north latitude. And it runs through North Africa, the Middle East, Southeast Asia, India, China, and Japan. And the reason that box is significant is that 5 billion, with a B, 5 billion people live there. But that's two out of every three people alive on planet Earth. That's what we're talking about. Maybe more significantly, though, three billion of them are what we would call or consider to be unreached. And unreached is quite different than unsaved. So I want to give you some quick definitions. When I say unsaved, I'm talking about someone who rejects the gospel of Jesus Christ. They do not believe in him. Therefore, they are a lost person. And that's a tragedy. We know lost people. Maybe you haven't believed in Jesus. I, again, tell you, trust in Jesus. Be forgiven your sins. But, but we know lost people in this area. Maybe it's our friends. Maybe it's family. That's a tragedy. I pray that we would be praying for those people and inviting them to church, inviting them to Bible study, inviting them to know and cherish and love Jesus Christ, the only person worthy of worship. But the difference between your lost friends here in the United States and the unreached in the 1040 window is they have you and they have churches 
and they have Bibles in their language and they have Bible projects and Bible videos. They got preachers they can listen to on podcasts. They got Bibles they can pick up from Barnes and Noble. There's a hundred churches in a town of 90,000 people here in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Right now, there's an average of one missionary for every 250,000 unreached people. That's what I'm talking about. That'd be like one, that'd be like one Christian between Fayetteville, Bentonville, Springdale, and Rogers. Three billion people right now who have little to no access to Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 10, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I'm thinking that's John 14. Regardless, he said in the book of John, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Sincere Muslims in the 1040 window don't go to the Father. Muhammad can't save them. Sincere Hindus in India can't go to the Father. Vishnu and Krishna can't save them. Faith in Jesus Christ alone is the only way to eternal life. And there's three billion people that have no access to Jesus Christ. And that, my friends, is a problem. Because all throughout scripture, God has promised that he is going to bless the entire world through the offspring of Abraham. He sends Jesus, who so loves the world that he gives his own life. He sits on the throne and he is waiting for the worship of people in the 1040 window. The question is, when will the church get up and play its part in reaching it? My question for us is, will we play a part in seeing the 1040 window reached? And if you're like, three billion people, that's hopeless. Like how, like we're a room of 400 people. How are, how are we gonna reach three billion? What's amazing is that we can stake our hope that the 1040 window will be reached all the way back in Genesis 12 again because God has never made one promise that he doesn't complete completely. And so the end of history, heaven someday looks like this because Genesis 12 comes true. It doesn't look like the 1040 window. It looks like revelation. Here's what heaven looks like. The apostle John's given a vision of it. Here's what it looks like. After this, I looked and behold, is a great multitude and it's so great that no one could even number them. And where are they from? Every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages and they're standing before the throne and before the lamb, that's Jesus. There will be people from every tribe, language, tongue and nation coming and bowing before the throne of Jesus Christ in heaven. Praise God, God keeps his promise in Genesis chapter 12. And God invites us to join him in his mission. So right now, I wanna welcome up my teammate, Emily, who's gonna tell you about when God really gripped her with his mission and how he's been using her since then. Thanks, Emily. I remember when I was first sitting in your seats, I was a sophomore at Missouri State when the traveling team came. And although I grew up in church, I didn't know about God's heart for the world all throughout scripture. But when I heard this from the traveling team, I honestly thought that's great, but that's for someone else. That's for someone else more spiritual, more gifted. That's not for someone like me. But as I started growing more in my faith, I realized in scripture that that is something that we all are called to do. 
And when I was started processing through it, I realized that there were a lot of things that were keeping me from saying yes to God and his mission. Some of those things that I had processed was I was living for my own purpose. And I realized that my heart was really hard towards the world. So I went into my dorm room one night and I prayed that God would soften my heart for the world because I realized that it was so hard. And I like to say that God above and beyond answered that prayer because then I started that next year reaching out and befriending international students on my campus. I started sending missionaries and even spent a summer in India. But when I processed going overseas long-term, there were things that kept me from saying yes. I thought it's too risky, too scary, too hard. There's no way I could do that. There were three things that kept me from saying yes to going overseas long-term. It was my family, support raising, and singleness. My family, although many are believers, didn't want me to raise support, and they didn't want me moving overseas to a foreign country. I also thought if I move overseas, like I'm gonna die single. Like There's no way God can do that. But God humbled me. And he made me realize that as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, you are going to have suffering. You are going to have obstacles. You are going to have costs that you need to count. But Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. And so even if my family, if they continue to say no, even if I have to continue to trust God and raising more support to go overseas, and even if I never get married, God is good and he is worthy and it's worth it. I just wanna ask you guys that, do you think that Jesus is worth that? Are we willing to, to say yes, to go anywhere at any time to do anything for him? So that's what I'm praying that you guys will continue to process But for me, it was a process. So even pray and ask God to soften your heart as well. Thank you so much, Emily. Will y'all give her a round of applause? She, she, She didn't come to God's mission and just immediately like, jump in and, and she, she didn't jump on a plane the next night and, 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 and she didn't empty her bank account to give to a missionary, right? And, and that's actually not what we're encouraging or calling you to do. We want you to join in God's mission step by step. We actually wanna encourage you to take a next step. Not just, not for our sake. Like, I'm not holding you to this. I'm not God, I'm just some dude. But I want you to join God's mission for your sake because it is the best possible thing you could give your life to. This is not a burden. This is a privilege. God's mission, Revelation 7, 9 shows God's mission can't fail. So to align our purpose in our life mission with anything else, no guarantees. This is guaranteed. Joining Jesus in his mission is a guarantee. And you, you heard Emily talking about some applications she took. So, so, so we've got a couple of action steps for you tonight. Go and send. This is how we jump in with God's mission. We go and we send. And, and we're gonna get into this a lot more in the part two. Sir's gonna be leading that. It's gonna be really fun. You're gonna get to do some artwork like Bob Ross style. It'll be a good time. So I, I highly encourage you, stick around for the part two. 
But very simply, because we're going to get into the practicals a lot, but very simply, when we say go, what we mean is go somewhere and take the gospel with you. Cross a cultural boundary and take the gospel with you. That can be here in Fayetteville on your campus. That could be overseas. Do it in the short term. Do it in the long term. That's how you go. But then, not all of us at all times are goers. Some of us will be senders right now. And senders send the goer. That's it. You pray for them when they're going. You pray for the people they're going to. And then you even take another step and you put your money where your mouth is. And when you know somebody who's taken a step to go overseas, take the gospel of somebody who's never heard it, you give financially to help them get there and stay there. That's how you get involved in God's mission. You can go or you can send. And when you sat down in your chair, we put these little cards there because we want you to have an opportunity to say yes to God tonight. So on the red side of the card, it has all the scripture I went through plus some extra ones. We print this out and give this to you so that you can take this home and see in your own Bible that this is God's mission. The traveling team didn't make this up. Fellowship Church didn't make this up. This is God's mission. It's what God's about. It's what he's doing. So that's the red side of the card. On the back of the card, it says, I commit myself. And, uh, I remember being in college and hearing the word commitment and being like, I'm overcommitted. I, uh, I can't do anything else. Like I, I, I got the, the job. I'm worried about the grades and the internship and the girlfriend and the... I, I didn't have a girlfriend, but I was busy and you're busy. We're all busy. I get it. But here's the reality of life. Your life is only about to get more busy. And if you're a Christ follower, I think this is a commitment you can and should make. So I'm going to read and explain it to you. And, and then as I close out this first part, I'm going to have everyone bow their heads in a second. I'm going to have everyone bow their heads and close their eyes. And if you want to make this commitment, I'm going to have you hold up your card high above your head like this. And I'm going to pray us out. So, so, so let me read and explain it first, okay? Because I know commitment, holding up a card, sounds weird, sounds scary. Let me read it. Here's what it says. I commit myself to obeying Christ and declaring his salvation to the unreached world by serving as a cross-cultural goer or a sacrificial sender. What this card is saying is, Jesus, I, I don't know what my next step is, I don't know if I'm called to go. I don't know if I'm called to send, but I know I'm called to something. I know I'm called to you. I know I'm called to your purpose. And I'm gonna hold up my card right now because I wanna join you. Like Jesus, if this is what you would have me do with my life, how can I say no? So, so what I want everyone to do right now is bow their heads, close their eyes, And if you would like to join God in his mission, if you want to commit yourself to obeying Christ and declaring his salvation to the unreached world as a goer or a sender, I want you to raise up your card high above your head and I just want to pray for you. Raise them up high. I know you might be nervous about what's next, but if you're just willing to say yes to God, hold them high and I'm going to pray. God, I praise you. Jesus, I praise you because you are worthy of all praise. And I praise you, Jesus, that you are King of kings and Lord of lords and you reign supreme, not just over Israel 
You reign supreme, not just over the United States of America or North America or, or the West. You are king of the world and you are deserving and worthy of the worship of the whole world. And I praise you that you invite us to taking your message of reconciliation to a lost and dying world. I pray that we would join you in your mission. And I pray all of this in Jesus' holy name, amen.